From bloated and tired to free and inspired, welcome to Free and Inspired Radio with Philip Watkins, your weekly dose of everything digestion and mental health related. We hope you enjoy this episode. Here is your host, Philip Watkins. Yes, yes. Hi there. Welcome to another episode of Free and Inspired Radio. I'm your host, a naturopathic practitioner, Philip Watkins, and I'm grateful to have you with us today. If you're new to the show, well, the title says it all. It's all about feeling free and inspired and exploring the many different avenues you can take to get there, whether it's deep dives on digestion and mental health solutions or guests who offer their own stories and answers. I hope I can be the type of guide you can rely on to unlock the agency you have to reach your own mental and physical competency. Let's get started with what's coming up on today's episode. Coming up on this week's show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 38 of Free and Inspired Radio. As always, thank you for being with us this week. Our subject matter for this episode explores whether your dietary protein intake is enough for longevity in 2022. I'm going to explain why protein is important in the longer term, but also I'm going to try and give you a sense of exactly what protein does in the body that makes it so important. Let's get started. So saying dietary protein intake is critical for longevity and quality of life seems a little dramatic. However, protein is considered the most fundamental nutrient for animals and humans. Even the English word originates from the Greek word proteos, meaning prime or primary. And its deficiency can cause your body to change in a way that can be difficult to reverse. So imagine the house or apartment you live in slowly losing part of its primary structure brick by brick every year once it turns 40. I always envision someone watching TV in their living room and minding their own business and different bricks just falling out of the wall at specific increments over the night. But whichever way you look at it, this slow degradation is exactly what happens to our muscle mass between the ages of 40 and 80 precisely. Some studies have us losing 30 to 50% of muscle between these ages of 40 and 80. So I'll just repeat that. Some studies have us losing 30 to 50% of muscle between the ages of 40 and 80. So it's quite a big loss there. Now, the problem with this is not just that your days of posing shirtless for social media are limited, but also that you may not have the strength to walk quickly enough across a road under pressure. And it's this lack of independence that's brought on by this muscle loss that's the scarier part. Muscle strength correlates with muscle mass, which rapidly declines after 50 This accelerated decline in muscle mass and strength makes adequate protein one of the critical nutritional factors in helping you maintain your independence as you age. Now, a lot of the time when people talk about retirement and independence after retirement, they talk about money. Now, this is huge because it often makes me think of uh, a... someone I follow quite a lot in the tech and Twitter space, Naval Ravikant. And one of his famous quotes that suggests that we spend our lives chasing enough money to enjoy our lives, but then we run out of time to spend it because of our health. 
Now, I've definitely paraphrased this, but I hope you can catch what I mean. Imagine working hard all through your life, then only to lose your independence at the end when you can kind of spend it. Your body not being strong enough to lift your cabin bag over, or, you know, from the floor into the overhead locker. Where's this? Where's the independence there? And a lot of that actually comes from muscle mass. Now, let me explain. Well, at least soon. This episode is here to prevent that by looking at protein intake and helping you assess your dietary protein intake to ensure you get enough and highlighting some of the vital functions of dietary protein in the body. Finally, I'm going to help you to, or at least hopefully help you to work out your ideal protein intake with a rough guide to get you started at the end of the show. Have I scared you enough yet? Losing your independence when you're old is a big thing for a lot of people. If you're young enough not to care, then that's cool. But if you are old enough to care, then it does hit pretty, you know, it does hit home pretty hard. So it's only partially intentional to scare you, but still the idea here is to present a reality that people commonly face as they age and begin to eat less and only have one serve of protein at dinner. Let's just break down what that looks like. So you have cereal in the morning, and then you have a sandwich with something in there, but relatively minimal protein in the sandwich at lunch, and then you have your meat and three veg, so to speak, at dinner time. Now, this is a huge drop in your protein levels, but also your nutritional levels, and in some cases, people skip meals when they're getting older as well. The good news, of course, is that all of this can be avoided. So let's look into protein a little bit more. Protein is not just for muscle. And dietary protein's most important function is to create proteins. Let me repeat that. Dietary protein's most important function is to create proteins. So that could be close to one of the most confusing statements you've heard all day, but let me explain by deconstructing what dietary protein is. What is dietary protein? So dietary protein is a collection of a variety of 20 different amino acids. These amino acids are linked together by peptide chains. And it's not until enzymes in your stomach break down these chains or break them apart and release the individual amino acids into the body, the protein becomes nutritionally valuable. So it's not until your digestive enzymes break the peptide chains and release the enzymes in their different forms that they become nutritionally valuable. The amino acids can also remain connected in small ways too. So some of those chains may not necessarily need to be broken. For example, the amino acids can come out in triplets or pairs through the digestion. Now, the number of amino acids connected will influence their name. For example, a dipeptide has two amino acids bound together with a peptide chain, dipeptide. Kind of makes it easy. And dipeptides, tripeptides, they all have different functions in the body. Some amino acids are essential because the body cannot produce them for itself. Now, the body can produce others by weaving its magic, thus making the amino acid non-essential or conditionally essential. Some foods can be higher or lower, in particular amino acids, or in some cases, the amino acid may not be present at all. Uh, For example, some plant-based proteins or plant-based proteins in general do not naturally contain taurine, carnosine, creatine, hydroxyproline, 
either at all or in high enough amounts for your health. This differential in the amino acid composition is one of the primary differences between animal and plant-based proteins. Older versions of classifying protein had animal protein as first-class protein and plant-based protein as second-class protein, mainly because of the absence of these amino acids. Digestibility and availability of the amino acids are also essential in classifying proteins. In my view, in 2022, science has shown that the difference between animal and plant-based protein as being good or bad or better or worse, it's just a little misleading. It's just that they're different. And it's, for example, the a cup of tofu contains the same amount of protein as just under 100 grams of steak, chicken, or fish. It's just the amino acid uh, composition changes. Now, what does vary in the is the amino acid content of plant-based foods, and this variation means that one plant-based food might, uh, sorry, one might have to eat more a, a more diverse and higher amount of plant-based sources to get an adequate combination of amino acids. It doesn't, though, make one protein source better or worse. Sure. And a protein source can maybe more efficient if you're getting more amino acids in that source. But I think as we're finding, we'll talk about the balance, you know, getting the right balance between animal and plant protein in the second part of the show. But it doesn't have to be good or bad. Everything doesn't have to be better or worse. Amino acids have different bodily functions. And the most important of those bodily functions is creating other proteins for the body. So now that we've broken down what proteins are, let's refer, refer back to this statement or return back to the statement I mentioned earlier. Dietary protein's primary function is to create proteins. It's going to require us to hit a tiny bit of biochemistry just to make this easier to understand. Hopefully, it'll be okay, though, so just bear with me. One way to simplify things is to see protein as building blocks. These building blocks then form an essential role in molecules such as enzymes. So enzymes can help speed up chemical reactions in the body that generate energy, and they can speed those reactions up, up to one million times, which is really crazy. Enzymes built out of our our dietary protein that speed up these chemical reactions are what we call catalysts because they catalyze the process or speed it up. And this is the vital part. Without these enzymes acting as catalysts, about 90% of the reactions, these reactions would not operate at the appropriate speed required for life. Enzymes, therefore, make reactions easier to occur. And if the enzymes weren't there, get this, approximately 80% of these critical energy-forming reactions wouldn't occur at all. And all of this is down to dietary protein providing the building blocks for these enzymes. But wait, there's more. My QVC debut there. Dietary protein plays a role in the structural support for muscle growth, the immune system, hormones, the nervous system, and also provides a source of nitrogen and sulfur, both of which the body can't make itself. Now, there's your little bit of nutritional biochemistry there, but it's fair to say that just finding out how much our biochemistry relies on dietary protein is enough to wonder whether you're getting enough. Let's zoom out and see its influence on the brain, digestion, obviously a big theme for Free and Inspire Radio, and the rest of the body via amino acids, non-protein-based function. 
before we do that. Let's take a quick break here on Free and Inspire Radio and we'll be back with more about amino acids and their non-protein-based functions shortly. Woo! Time to take a break. Are you enjoying this episode of Free and Inspired Radio? There's no better time to take back your personal health sovereignty. If you want to connect with more Free and Inspired episodes, Simply subscribe to your favorite podcast platform or visit the website at www.philipwatkins.health for more information. Let's get back to the show. more granular and look at how protein can play a role in our bodies and finish the show with some guidelines to help you determine how much protein you should be having based on your activity levels. Now you may remember that earlier in the episode we touched on essential amino acids that that the body can't produce and non-essential amino acids that it can make on its own with a bit of magic and effort. To keep things simple and to illustrate the broad-ranging functions of amino acids, let's look at one of the most important essential amino acids for the brain and the digestion, tryptophan. L-tryptophan has garnered a reputation for being helpful in mental health and sleep conditions. Dietary sources of tryptophan include dairy products such as whole milk, cheese, whey protein, and also meat, fish, eggs, bananas, oats, pumpkin and sesame seeds, chocolate, dried dates, soy, tofu, tree nuts and peanuts. Tryptophan's role as a building block is undoubtedly just as exciting and also goes some way to explain its popularity in mental health. If you if you remember one of the uh, dietary proteins essential functions is to be a building block for other chemicals to be built. Most notably, tryptophan is one of the main building blocks for serotonin production and the hormone melatonin. Just repeat that. Tryptophan is one of the main building blocks for serotonin production and the hormone melatonin. So if you're new to serotonin's action in the body, it regulates mood, anxiety, cognition, impulsiveness, aggressiveness, libido, and body temperature. And a recent study in Singapore has connected dietary protein intake and improved sleep duration in middle-aged and older adults, mainly to the increased tryptophan levels. So there you go. If you, if you find that you're waking up earlier than you should be, then maybe you need to increase your protein intake. So serotonin is also critical in digestion and regulating motility, which helps your food travel through the GI tract successfully to the toilet. Tryptophan plays a vital role in the balance between the immune system in the gut and the maintenance of the bacteria in the microbiome. Some consider tryptophan so essential to the gut-brain connection that one article published in 2014 suggested that it's one of the primary origin stories for developing IBS. And just some context there, they suggested that a dysfunction in the way that tryptophan is used in the stomach 
is the reason why they think it might be connected to irritable bowel syndrome. One of the lesser known functions of tryptophan is its involvement in cardiometabolic illnesses such as diabetes via its role in either increasing or suppressing insulin resistance. And this is very interesting because there are few studies now that suggest that people with high levels of tryptophan in their bloodstream do have high risk of insulin resistance and diabetes. So it's not about more all the time. It's not about quantity. It's actually about just maybe getting the right amounts. And that study around diabetes especially is a great way of illustrating that. Now, tryptophan is just one of 20 amino acids. So reviewing them all in one episode is, you know, it'd make, we'd be here for hours. But hopefully, just by looking at one uh, and how much of an, a significant effect uh, one amino acid can have gives you a further inspiration to evaluate whether your dietary protein levels are high enough. Now, what should I aim for with my daily dietary protein intake? And the reason why I pose that as a question is because a lot of people ask me and I also ask them how much protein they think they're getting as well. Now, this amount largely depends on your physical activity levels. As you may know already, the current baseline uh, dietary protein intake for a person who isn't exercising is around 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. So I'll repeat that if you're sedentary and you're not exercising, the current guideline and the very baseline minimum it seems is 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. This amount then moves up roughly 0.4 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight based on light, moderate, or intense levels of exercise. To make this easier, that's 1.2 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight for light exercise, moving up to 1.5, 1.6 for moderate exercise and up to 2 grams for intense training. Although I wouldn't recommend you stay at 2 grams for long, it doesn't it doesn't seem to have major problems, but staying on that level for a longer time, as I said, we've seen studies where too many amino acids or too high elevated levels of certain amino acids in the bloodstream can actually have a reverse effect and may not be as beneficial as it seems. These daily amounts would need to be personalized based on your height, weight, and frequency of exercise. And also, let's just make sure we consider the balance between animal and plant-based protein intake. There's a lot of studies out there actually that you can read about. I'm not going to summarize them too much because we're already getting way, you know, a little bit late in the show. But we've touched on the absence of some amino acids in plant-based plant-based foods earlier. This deficit is why adding some animal protein into your daily intake can be important, primarily from just a supply point of view. There are some options regarding supplementation that might fill in the gaps. Still, generally, a predominant amount of plant-based protein with some animal protein mixed in reflects where it seems the consensus is going, or at least that's my interpretation of it. So, mainly plant-based with some animal food drop, you know, dropped in there, or animal-based protein, excuse me, animal food. You don't really want to eat dog food, do you? And hopefully you'll get the right balance between the two there and make sure you're getting all those good amino acids, especially taurine, which I think I'm going to do a whole episode on taurine because I love taurine. There's a secret fun fact about your host. So what do you think? 
we've seen, hopefully in this article, sorry, in this episode, excuse me, how dietary protein provides the building blocks for almost 90% of our energy generating biochemical reaction and nearly all of the other important biochemically active substances in our body. Protein is just the building blocks, it's the bricks. I hope this episode serves as a guide to why protein is such an essential part of your dietary intake and how you might be able to align your diet to match how much your body needs, especially based on whether or not you're exercising. As always, before we finish this free and inspired radio episode, if you would love to hear more from me and get the word on new articles, podcast episodes, and more, especially the ebook on probiotics and the brain, psychobiotics, jump over to the website philipwatkins.health and join our community via the newsletter and you'll get yourself a free copy of that ebook. Uh, that's the sign up on the homepage or any other article page, you can get your hands on that. Your reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify help me get the word out on the street. And once again, as always, if you're listening to you on this to this on YouTube, throw the video a like and subscribe if you've got this far to see when each new podcast is uploaded and help me with that awesome algorithm. I'd like to send some shouts to the show listeners who always get this far as this as a very rare group and I'm very, very grateful that you're getting this far. This show is about helping you to find the freedom to feel inspired again. And once again, I say once again a lot, don't I? I hope this gets you one step closer to finding that freedom to feel inspired again. Until next week, don't forget to take care of yourself and those around you. And if you're in Hong Kong, happy mid-autumn festival to you. And we'll be back with more Free and Inspire Radio next week. Bye. Oh my gosh, you made it to the end. This show is all about you, and we hope you finished this episode feeling one step closer to feeling free and inspired. We'll be back next week, but if you want to know more about Philip, please catch a digital flight to www.philipwatkins.health for further details about how we might be able to help. In the meantime, have a great morning, afternoon, or evening, and we'll see you for another episode next week.